The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Father, what good news uh, that we are children of you. Help us to be awed by this truth. Help us to understand in greater clarity, God, and to be moved with passion by your love for us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present, that you would do what I can't, that you would take your words and impress them upon your people. And that as a result, God, that we would uh, be changed, Lord, that we would have a greater fervor and passion and, and longing for you, that we would see you in a clearer way, Jesus. Sam, we pray. Amen. Awesome. You can go ahead and have a seat. So we are continuing on uh, in 1 John, and uh, really, 1 John isn't a lot of new material. If you've read 1 John before, what you see in 1 John is really kind of a refresher. And you, you, especially new believers, I always recommend, go read the Gospel of John and then go read 1 John. Um, and you kind of get to 1 John, and you're like, wait a second, didn't I just read this in the Gospel of John? And yes, you did. Uh, John is really not trying to provide a lot of new information. What John is rather trying to do is he's trying to bring that information to life in their hearts and their minds. Is he's trying to refresh them and remind them about what really matters, about what is really important. And so he does it, the book is kind of laid out in two sections. Um, and John's very cyclical, like he, he cycles through them a lot. But the, the first one is uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 5, all the way to chapter 3, verse 10. And it starts out, this is the message that we have heard and delivered to you, that God is light. And so the whole first verse 5 all the way through chapter 3, verse 10 is all about this understanding that God is light and what it means for us to walk in purity. And then it starts in you know, 3, verse 11, all the way through chapter 5, verse 12, and it says this is a message we receive that God is love, that God is love. And so we see that the book is kind of broken down in these two areas, God is light and God is love. And now let me wrong. John talks about God as love in God is light. And, God, and John talks about God is light in God is love. And so he's talking about these themes cyclical. And so it means that he is talking about the same things over and over again, but he does them with a little different perspective, with a little different emphasis. And so, you know, we're going to be preaching this like, hey, didn't we talk about that? Yes, we did. But John's going to bring a little different emphasis on it and a little different nuance to it than he did before. Because he's not trying... John believes that what we desperately need is not more information. It's not more knowledge. It's we need the information knowledge that we have to sink down into our hearts, for us to really believe it, for us to really soak it up and to understand it, not just with our head, but with our lives. And so that's why he's, he's continuing to bring us back to these same truths. Because that's the problem. Is we, we want always something new. And John says we need to believe what is old and what is true. And it will become new in our lives as we apply it. So he, he gives us three tests. The book of First John is written because there are people that have, have walked away from Christianity. They've abandoned the faith, and they're leaving it for, you know, for false teaching. And John says, how do, we, how do you know that somebody's a Christian? How, do you, how can you have discernment? And he, gives, he says that there are three tests. He says that there's a moral test, right? God is light. And he says that if we are walking, if we say that we claim to be Christians, then we will walk in the light as God is in the light. What that means is that our lives are going to be changed, is that we are going to be practicing righteousness. We are going to begin to love what God loves. Our lives are going to look differently. They don't look the same as they used to. 
So that's the first test. He says genuine Christians, their lives look different. It doesn't mean that when they become a Christian, everything's perfect, but it means that things start to change. Things in your life start to, you begin to be convicted about things that you didn't care about before. And he says the second one is he says there's a communal test. You can't claim to be a Christian yet hate Christians. It doesn't make sense. And so he says if you are a Christian, you're going to love the brothers. You're going to love the community. You're going to persevere with them. You're not going to abandon the church. And then just kick the church to the side and say, forget you guys. I don't need you. He says, that's not what Jesus did. And that's not what those who follow Jesus will do either. Is that we will be committed to one another as Jesus was committed to us. And then the third test, he says, is that it's a doctrinal. He says, those that, that are genuine Christians, they affirm the truth about Jesus. They don't twist Jesus to make him in our image. Instead, they say, Jesus we're going to follow what the scriptures teach about Jesus, and he is going to change us to be in his image. And so you see these three tests John is continually bringing up. And you're going to see him as you, hopefully you guys are reading the book of 1 John as we're preaching through this, you know. And you're going to see these tests over and over again. So before we dive into the text, which if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open. We're going to be in 1 John 2, verse 28, all the way through chapter 3, verse 3. So five whopping verses. Um, but before we dive into that, I really want to preface this with the meat of what this passage is about, which is being children of God. And so 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now, what's really important as we start understanding what does it mean to be a child of God is that not everyone is a child of God. Sometimes we incorrectly think that, listen, God created everyone, so therefore God is the father of everyone. Well, in one broad sense, yes, that's true, but the Bible uniquely and specifically says that those who are related to God by faith in Jesus, and faith, not just that Jesus existed, but specifically faith in Jesus' death for their sin, his burial and his resurrection, that they have a unique relationship to God, that they no longer become just one, another part of his creation, but they uniquely become his children that there is this intimate relationship that is formed when they place their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ and in his saving work. Now, we see this discussion of what it means to be a child of God in John 3. You know, John's not trying to talk about it. He said, I already talked about this, you know, so let's just bring it up again. In John chapter 3, Jesus is, he's been teaching. And Nicodemus, who is a ruler, you know, they didn't have separation of state. So he was a religious ruler as well as a teacher. And so he, he's in power, and he's coming at night to check out who Jesus is because he doesn't want other people to see him there. Right? He, he's afraid to come to Jesus in the day. And so all kinds of people begin their journeys to Jesus in very many different ways. Some people start out because they're scared that other people are going to find him out. But Nicodemus, at the end of his life, became a devout follower of Christ. But he came to him at night to start. And he came to him at night and he says, listen, something's up with you. All right? We know that you've got to be a teacher because nobody does the things that you do unless God has sent them. And Jesus turns to Nicodemus and he says, I tell you that a man must be born again if he is to see the kingdom of God. Now what is, whoa, whoa, Nicodemus is like, what in the world are you talking about? Listen, I can't go into my mother's womb again and come out. Like that's just, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus says, you, you, listen, those who are born of the flesh are born of the flesh, but you must be born from above of water and spirit. And so Jesus is saying that there is a second birth that happens. All of us are born physically, and it's a miraculous thing. Having just seen that, it is, you know, amazing, terrifying, and beautiful all at the same time, you know. But, but all of us are born physically, but says there is a new birth that must happen 
if you are to see, he says, see the kingdom of God. And he means that if you are to understand who Jesus is, no one understands who Jesus is fully. No, they don't see him clearly unless God has done something in their lives to bring new life into them. It's called regeneration, that they are born again, born from above. And he says that the Spirit of God does this, that he comes upon them and he causes new life to happen. Now, there's a couple truths that I think we really need to focus and draw from this idea that we are born again, born from above, from the Spirit. The first one is that spiritual birth happens by the will of God and not simply by the will of man. So Theo did not have a lot of say when he was born. He was stubborn, but he, you know, he didn't have a lot of say on it. You know, I mean, he was born, and that was a matter of fact. He wasn't, you know, like kind of sending messages to mom saying, hey, you know, I would really like, you know, March 1st, or I'd really like, you know, February, you know, 6th. Like, he didn't have much say on the date of his birth. He, he was born, and, and that was the fact of it. And so, too, there's a reality behind our spiritual birth is that there's someone who is giving life to us. While we have responsibility, God is doing a supernatural work in our lives to cause us to come to new life. And what this means is it means that this should cause us great humility because we can no longer claim that we are better than someone else. You see, if we think that it's by our intelligence or it's simply by our effort or by our wisdom that we were the ones that sought out God, that we were the ones that figured it out, then of course we can bring arrogance because these are people that just aren't as intelligent as I am. They didn't figure things out as quickly as I did. If we instead realize that God in sovereign will is, is bringing people to life, is supernaturally bringing people to, to be born again from above. Now there's responsibility, absolutely. It says that we must receive, we must place faith, but there's something that is outside of our control that God does, that he, he brings this life into us. Now, the second thing that we need to see is that the spiritual birth, being born again, it means that we have a, a new nature, right? John, in this passage in 1 John, he uses this word techna, which is for child. And what that means is, is it, it means that we share his nature. Now, Paul uses a different word, and it, it means this, like that we're legally his children, more of adoption. But John uses it, and he's saying, no, we have been born of the same nature as him. And so it means that we will begin to act like him. I remember as I grew up, I would start to do the things that my dad did. And, and it was weird because there was a season where I didn't see my dad. Like I didn't learn necessarily a lot from him in certain seasons because he was not there. But I would still have the same mannerisms as him. And so, you know, the way I drive or the way I do things for things like that is he would see he's like, I didn't even teach you, but you naturally do the same thing that I do. And it was, you know, sometimes weird, but we have that. And so, too, because we are born from the Father, it, it changes our character, changes our nature, and we begin to start doing the things that our Father has done. And so this is what it means to be born. And this is what John says, is that he talks about that, that because we're born again, we will practice righteousness as he is righteous, is that we will do the things that our Father has done. It changes our nature and our character. And this is... This should be a, a, astonishing to us because we aren't naturally God's children, right? Like I said before, is that we are naturally orphaned spiritually, is that we are born in sin and rebellion, and instead we, we have spit in God's face, we've rejected his love and his grace, but in spite of that, he extends the offer to become children. And John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who but of God, but of God. Romans 8, 15 through 16, for you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself with our spirit that we are God's children. In Galatians 3, verse 26, it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Is it, man, what a miracle that God would allow us to, be, to become his children, to be changed, to be like him. The third thing that I think this, this teaches us is that it shows us the amazing love and grace of God. Now, he says, what kind of love is this? And some translation says, behold, what that means is it means from what origin, from what country, from what place has this kind of love come from? Now, if we were back in a, a Greek seaport, what we would say is that if, you know, back in that day, they didn't have as many travelers as we have. You know, people can fly around and drive, and so people come from out of town all the time. But a traveler back then was somebody new. It was very, it was, it was uncommon. And so whenever someone would arrive at the seaport, everybody would rush down, and they would cry out, from where forth do you come? You come bringing the good news. Where do you come from? We want to know. We want to learn because this is something new. This is something that we've never seen or never heard of or never known before. And this is what John is saying is that I've never beheld or never seen or never understood this kind of love. It is brand new. Who loves in this way? Who loves those that hate them? Who would not only love those that hate them, but who would forgive them of their debt who would take that debt upon themselves? Who would give their only son so that they would not simply be forgiven, but they would become his son? They would be brought into his family. From what origin, from what place does this kind of love exist? Does this kind of love come into our lives? Isaac Watt says, Behold the amazing gift of love the Father hath bestowed on us, the sinful sons of men, to be called sons of God. And so this is, hopefully, we understand the, the amazing love of God that he would welcome us in as his children at the expense and cost of his child. And hopefully we see that John is writing this, and John is old. Like, John's really old. Like he's getting to the end of his life. I mean, death is like, you know, around the corner, a couple knocks away, and he's there. And, and he is still infatuated with Christ. He has not grown tired or grown dull of, of talking about God's love. Instead, it still burns a passion in his soul. Is that he gets excited about sharing about God's love. Is he, he doesn't approach things, that, well, yeah, of course, God loves you. He is still, it still moves him to tears. It still brings out this longing in him to pass this, this urgent message on to others. God loves you. Does that passion still burn in you or has it grown dull? Have the years of life taken that flame that once was burning strong and, and it subsided into an ember? He wants to burn that, that ember back into flame in your life. He wants you to be moved with passion, with emotion, with joy at the thought of God's love for you, that he has brought you into his family. And so with, with this background of us understanding what does it mean to be a child of God, I want us to approach this passage and so the text is 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 3. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so the big idea of this passage, I think the thing that clarifies this is this. Is this. In love, God has made us his children. In love, God has made us his children. And our lives are forever changed by our heavenly birth. In love, God has made us his children. Our lives are forever changed by our heavenly birth. And so we're going to look at three things. First, that, that our heavenly birth should begin to instill confidence in us in our approach to God. Second, that our heavenly birth gives us a new home, and therefore we're aliens and strangers in this place. And third, that our heavenly birth, that it, it gives us a new hope. It gives us a new hope that sets us apart. It purifies us right here and right now. And so first, it... It instills confidence. We see this in verses 28 through 29. Now, have you guys ever had an unexpected visitor come or an unexpected event happen? You know, maybe it's a friend that just decides they want to pop in, right? And I just, I was in the, I was in the neighborhood. And I just want to pop in. And you're like, great. I have nothing ready. My house is a mess. I'm unkept. You know, you're caught unawares. You know, for students, maybe it's that, hey, you got a pop quiz or a test that you didn't, uh, didn't know about, and you're going to be tested real quick to see whether you know what you're talking about or whether you were waiting for the last minute to study. You know, you're, you're going to be revealed. Emily and I have uh, recently, we started watching uh, Undercover Boss. Anybody else see that movie or the, the show? Right, we, we watched one, uh, it was about the owner of Moe's, you know, and he decided that he was going to be, you know, go into one of the stores. And it's such an interesting idea that the, the owners, you know, the CEOs of these companies, they kind of come in as a lowly servant. They disguise, you know, disguise themselves. They put on a mustache, different hair. They're bald. They put on, you know, they get hair again. They're like, oh, wow, you look really good like hair, you know? And so they, they, uh, they, they look really different, and they come in, and, uh, and they just kind of play, play, they play dumb. They just see how the stores operate, and they see how things are going. And sometimes it's going really well, right? And the, the employees, you know, they usually get rewarded. They get encouraged. They get loved on. And they had no idea that they were being watched. You know, they were just doing a good job because that was what they were called to do, because they wanted to honor, you know, the employer that had hired them. But other times, they catch somebody and it's not so hot, you know. And Moses was, was one that was a, a particular instance where he came in and the manager that was on shift had just been there for two weeks, was arrogant, was bossing people around, and was pushing the CEO around, had no idea what he was doing, but was, was bossing and pushing him around, you know, like making fun of him in front of the other employees, all of these things. And then, you know, you encounter a couple other, other people and they're doing well. Now, all's fine and well as long as he's in that role, but then it comes, the, the unexpected turn, because they think that they're actually, they think they're evaluating this person. You know, they, they think that this whole TV show is just an evaluation of this person coming in rather than their evaluation. And so they come to the final, you know, the final judgment scene where they get, to, they get to evaluate the person and they think they're coming to evaluate and instead they are the ones that are evaluated. And all of a sudden something very unexpected happens and their actions are revealed. They're clarified before all the world to see. 
And this is this idea that John has for us, is that there, there's a moment where Christ is going to return. Now, the Bible says that there are going to be signs that precede his coming. But it also says that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. And so his return is going to come like a thief in the night where no one will know. It will be unexpected. And everything that is hidden, everything that is hidden in darkness, it will be brought to light. Things that are whispered in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. And so he says that there, there are only going to be two reactions to his coming. Is that there is either going to be confidence or there is going to be shrinking from his coming. And what that means is confidence is mean that there's, there's going to be a boldness, there's going to be an openness, a transparency about his coming. Is that his coming is going to bring joy and it's going to bring longing. It doesn't mean that, we're, doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're genuinely walking as Christ would call you to. But those that shrink from his coming, it means that they are ashamed. That, that his coming, it, it reveals things that they would have rather kept hidden. And now we know that if you're, not, if you're here and you're not a Christian, every excuse that you've made, it's going to become revealed. And Christ urges you, don't be ashamed. He wants you to come and to receive him, to believe in his name. And so I urge you, please trust in the name of Jesus. Receive his forgiveness and his grace. Therefore, you would have confidence. But the Bible also says that, listen, there are going to be Christians that are going to be ashamed of his coming. And what I mean by this is that there are seasons of my life where I know I've walked in direct disobedience to the Lord. And it's the, the book of 1 John, it doesn't mean that, listen, all of us are imperfect. We're all going to sin. And if you don't acknowledge your brokenness and sin, then you're walking in probably an even greater brokenness and sin because you're deceiving yourself. But it says that there are times where we're walking in direct disobedience. And this is what it means by walking in darkness, walking in sin, where we know what we're doing is wrong, but we just don't want to hear about it. Right? I mean, like if our life is a house, we're like, hey, Jesus, you can come into the living room, but upstairs is off limits. I got that place locked, sealed, ain't nobody going in there. You know, it stinks, and so and I, I've sprayed stuff around it, so, you know, I try to hide it. But here's the thing, when Jesus finally comes, all doors of our life are opened. And there's not going to be any time for you to sweep all that stuff into the closet or underneath the bed, as it's all going to be exposed. And so he says, he says, get it. Get right with the Lord. Abide in Him. This is the way he says is how do we have confidence at His coming? One, it says that we abide in Him. And what that means is it means that we continually place faith in Jesus. That we continually say, you are my source of purpose. You are my source of meaning. You are the one that saves me. I cannot save myself. And so when you mess up, the temptation is to try to save yourself. Instead, trust in Jesus who is able to save you. So it says abide in Him. The second thing is it says that practice righteousness. Be, practice deeds of righteousness. And, and so he gives all kinds of things, but is your life one of generosity or is it one of selfishness? Is your, is your life one of hospitality where you open your life to other people, where you invite the stranger in and you genuinely care about those that are different from you or are you instead more concerned about your comfort? I'll, I'll hang out with people as long as they are like me, as long as they don't rub me the wrong way. They share similar convictions and values. And so he says, practice righteousness. Do what the Bible calls us to do and be obedient. He says, these are areas that we will have confidence before him and his coming and his return. You see this, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so we see that what, is, what are we building our lives upon? What are we doing that is going to impact the kingdom? He says that our lives will be revealed and I say it will disclose. And he, he urges us, build your life on what matters. Invest your life where it's going to have the greatest return in the kingdom. The second thing we see is, is that not only does being a child of God bring confidence as we abide in him, but it gives us a new home. It gives us a new place. Have you ever been in some place and felt like an outsider, like an outcast? I know that when I was in sixth grade, we moved, uh, and I had all of my friends, you know, and uh, and where we were, and, and it took. I mean, it felt like a year, two years. I just felt like an outcast, got made fun of, just felt like an outsider. And I don't know if you ever if you ever have had that. If you've come into a place and just feel like it's just not home, and he says that this is what's going to happen when you become a Christian. Is it? It's not that you aren't loved. It's not that you don't have a community of faith, but it's that this world isn't your home. It's not where you. It's not where you belong. And it, if we follow Christ, there are going to be times where we are rejected because Christ was, was rejected. Paul says this, he says, listen, if I wanted to be a servant of men, if I wanted to please people, I would have never become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so too, when you, when you make a commitment to follow Jesus, what it means is that you're going to at times be rejected by people. Now listen, this doesn't mean you're a jerk for Jesus. All right, like, like they, we got people that they, they got a martyr syndrome and they just listen, like I got to offend somebody because I want to be like Jesus. So listen, don't be a jerk for Jesus. Okay, love people. But in your, in your pursuit of loving people, of genuinely being committed to what, to what is good for them, people are going to, people are going to persecute you. People are going to not believe you. Why? Because people's hearts are, are hardened. And what happens when we are born again is our heart becomes soft. It, it becomes soft and becomes convicted to sin. And so what this means, sometimes it means like at times you might lose friends. I know that when I became a Christian, I moved outside of a party scene. And I, I started to see women differently. And so therefore, some of my friends didn't hang around me because I wouldn't enter into certain conversations. It didn't mean that I didn't love them, that I didn't care about them, that I didn't pursue, but it meant that I would no longer engage in certain things. And because of that, certain friends were faded away. There are times where family members, they might not like the fact that you love Jesus and that because you love Jesus, there are things that you will not engage with and that your conversation changes. And so there are times where people will lose family because of that. There are times where you're going to have people that are going to talk behind your back. They're going to call you a prude. They're going to call you ignorant, call you all kinds of names for Jesus' sake. You will be persecuted in this world Jesus says that if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they do to you on my account, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. They do this because this is not our home. This is not where we belong. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We have a better home that awaits us. And because of that, we are always going to be strangers and exiles, aliens living in a place that, that is never quite our home. And so, yes, while we, man, while in my family there are times where I, I have a feeling of love and of care, and even in the church I have a feeling of love and care, if I'm going to be following Christ, it means I'm going to be engaging in mission. It means that I'm not just going to stay in the frozen chosen, in this holy hub, you know? I'm going to actually get out and I'm going to be interacting with the world. And because of that, because of engaging and following Jesus, there are times where we're going to be persecuted. But we remember, this is not, this is not the end. This is not how things ultimately end up. That God is going to come back and he's going to renew all things. All things will be healed. This world will be renewed. This is not our home. We have a better home. And it's such good news. And it, it, it means that your best life is still to come. And isn't that good? Because sometimes you go through things and you're like, it's never going to get, you know, like, this is the best experience, you know, I'm ever going to have in this. You know, like, this is the best time I'm ever going to have in this. And what this promises, it promises, listen, you've not even tasted the best. You've not even begun to experience the fullness of what life is in Jesus Christ. And so it is always going to be better. Each day is going to be better than the previous one with Christ. The last thing that we see is that being a child of God, it gives us a hope. It gives us a hope that purifies us. All right, we see this. He says, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now that word purify, it means to, to make sensitive. It means to take something that is hard, that is stiff, and to bring it into a sensitivity. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever done a, you know, you've done a really hard day's labor and you just have become just disgusting. You, you've, you're sweaty, you stink, your clothes are just, I mean, they're in bad shape. You know, people don't want to be around you. You can't wait to get to the shower, you know, and, they, and if you ever left those out, they, the clothes start to get hard, right? So they're, they're stinky and they're hard, right? I mean, just the worst possible situation. Some of you might just say, just throw them away, you know, but what happens if you wash them? All of a sudden now what was hard becomes soft. It becomes pliable, it becomes movable, it's able to fit. And what, was, what just was rank now actually begins to smell, smell pretty good. You know, if you, you put something in it that actually is going to take care of the smell. But this is what he does to our heart. He says, before Christ, our, our heart was hard, is that we did not, we did not sense the sin that, that, that hurt Christ, that crucified Christ. It, well, we maybe did wrong, but we didn't understand that we had actually offended God that we had wronged him. Is it, and, and that our heart was hard, that it, it stunk, and we, we didn't smell it. We were so used to the stench. And he says, but man, when Christ comes, he purifies us as he brings sensitivity to our heart, and we begin to see the evil that destroys us and has offended Christ. And it starts to, it says that we are now a different aroma. We're the aroma of Christ to those that are being saved. And then we leave this sense everywhere we go 
And he says that we do this because of, of hope. Because of hope. You know, we are motivated and changed by what we hope for. I mean, think about this in your life. What is driving you in your current actions? Most of the time, it's what you hope for. You know, I mean, a lot of times it's, you know, for those that are, you know, want to get married in the future, you know, you think about that. I mean, you're motivated by the hope of getting married. You're motivated by the opportunity of having a family or having a career or having a home or vacation. I mean, constantly our lives are being directed in the present by what we hope for, what we think the future holds for us. It's constantly reaching into the present and directing our actions. And so hope is a very powerful force in our lives to change us, to motivate, it, to motivate and move us. But this is also true. What we look at in the present affects what we hope for, right? What we look at in the present affects what we hope for. Now, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but whenever I, like, I get super motivated, like when I've watched movies, I'm like, I'm going to start doing that. Or I read a book, I'm like, all right, now, now we're doing this, you know? Like, I'm reading right now uh, the, the Swiss Robinson, you know, like adventures. So I'm like, all right, man, this is awesome. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to adventure. We're going to someplace where it's unseen. I'm going to learn how to, you know, build a fort and all this stuff. And we get motivated and it starts, you know, whatever we focus on in the present, it starts directing our hopes for the future, you never experienced that. You never watched a movie and you get motivated. You're like, all right, I'm going to learn karate now. You know, like I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to learn how to cook. Like, I mean, we get motivated, but whatever we focus on in the present, it starts directing and guiding our, our hope. And these work back and forth with each other, right? It's this cycle is that what we look at and what we focus our vision on in the present, it directs our hope. And what we hope for, it guides our actions in the present, it's this cycle that goes around and around. And so Jesus says, listen, abide in me. Keep your vision on me. What are, you, what are you looking at? What is your life gazing upon? What do you most long for right now? Because that's going to, that's going to, to impact your hopes. If your greatest hope, if you're, what you're gazing on right now is that you, I want to be financially free. I want to free, have, have as much free time as I can. I want you know, the best family. Whatever you're looking at in the present, it's going to guide your hopes. What are you, and what are you hoping for? What is it that you so wish in the future? And he says, listen, there are lots of things that are good hopes. There's lots of things that we can fix our eyes on right now that are good. But if we mistake the good for the ultimate, those good things, they destroy us. They become empty. They become hollow. Have you not experienced it? I know I have. When I fix my things on, on things that are good but aren't ultimate, whether it's family, even ministry, all of these great things, if they become ultimate things, they become hollow and they become empty and they disappoint us. They disappoint. But instead, if my ultimate hope is fixed on Christ, on being like Him, on being with Him, on seeing the restoration of everything that is broken, then that means that my life will continue to be set apart. I will put first thing first. And that means that the first thing I can do is that I can, I can fall in love with Jesus. I can serve him daily. I can be obedient to his calling. Because listen, I, I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to be a good father. I'm not going to be a good pastor if I'm not first following Jesus in my everyday life. And so too, all the things that you find so valuable in your life, you're not going to accomplish them unless you put Christ first. Unless you see him in the present unless you're motivated by being like him in the future. Are those your, is that your hope? To be like Christ? 
to see him and be like him as he is? Or are you settling for hopes that are lesser, hopes that will disappoint you? 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, it's, how are we changed? We're changed by seeing Jesus. And this is what it says. It says that, John says, I don't know exactly what we're going to be like. It's going to be pretty cool. You know, we're new bodies. You can do all kinds of new things. He says, but I know that when we see him, we will be like him. Seeing Jesus changes us. It changes us in the present, and it's what changes us in the future. Hear this again, what Paul says. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The partial is passing away, and the perfect is, is coming. And when Christ arrives, man, what a beautiful day. Can you think about that? All of the the sin that we so struggle with, the sin that wages war against our soul will be stripped from us. We will be truly free in the most profound sense. The pain that we see this world going through that breaks our heart, the racism, the hunger, the bigotry, the fighting, peace finally come. What a day. Richard Baxter says, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be like him. And so as we close, I want to read uh, a song for us, and just to focus our hearts and minds on what it means that we are his children, and the hope that we will get to see him face to face. It, it purifies us. It makes us sensitive, so that we don't want to sin. We don't want to offend our Heavenly Father, and said we want to please him. Hear these words by Harriet Buell. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full, he has riches untold. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered over earth as the poorest of them. But now he is reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. I was once an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing, all glory to God, I'm a child of the King. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.